Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NCUST Review, What Great Schools Do. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah McLaren, Executive Coach for the National Center of Urban Schools Transformation, better known as NCUST. The mission of NCUST is to help urban school districts and their partners transform schools into places where all students achieve academic proficiency, evidence a love of learning, and graduate well-prepared to succeed in post-secondary education, the workplace, and their communities. Our guest for this episode is Dimitris Pantelidis, and he is coming to us today as a school that was an award winner of NCUST, and we're so excited to have Mr. Pantelidis with us today. So welcome, Mr. Pantelidis. Thank you for having us, Deborah. We really appreciate it, and it's great. It's an honor to be part of this podcast. So tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you are involved with the work of NCUST. Yeah, it's, um, I've been very fortunate. I've been in the educational arena for about 35 years. I recently retired as a school building principal, the same uh, principal in the same school for over 23 years. Uh, we have the distinguished uh, honor of being an NCUS two-time winner back in 2018 and 2023. And in both of those circumstances, we had one gold and we got an opportunity to share some of our great practices uh, in our NCUS symposium uh, during that national front. And that was really inspiring and powerful for my entire school community. Well, I've seen the results that you have gotten from the school, and they are really impressive. And I want to thank you first and foremost because you believe in high expectations and you believe that your community deserves the best, and I'm so appreciative of the work that you do. So tell us, what do school leaders really need to know and do to meet the needs of diverse student populations and school communities? One of the things that we have to do as a school uh, is to develop system-wide approaches that are customized to meet the needs of our school community. And what do I mean by that? I mean approaches such as teaching and learning, not just giving our students or staff programs, but the pedagogy involved. We have to come up with systems for teacher teams that are immutable in every school district. And we also have to think about professional learning communities. Those three systems are essential to increasing the achievement gap. Because as we see right now, we are in a reading crisis. 58% of our white students are not proficient in reading. 79% of our Hispanic students are not proficient in fourth grade reading. And 83% of our Black students are not proficient in their fourth grade reading. We have to take a little deeper, closer look in terms of systems. We also have to take a deeper view in terms of the advanced literacy shift. We have to look at the four main shifts of our instructional core, the data work that we do to hold educators such as ourselves accountable, we then have to take a look at the teaching, the daily teaching and learning that's going on every day in our classrooms. And then the fourth shift, 
is we have to take a look at professional development. What kind of professional development are we providing our staff and our families and our school community so this way we can maximize the entire school community's growth? So I'm hearing so much from just that question. Uh, first of all, can you tell us a little bit more when you talk about professional learning communities and then you talk about professional development, talk a little bit more about what that looks like for the work you've done at your school. And, and also let us know, what is the name of your school? Yeah, our school is Patrick Henry Prep, PS171. We are located, we are in District 4. Uh, we are located in East Harlem or Spanish Harlem, as it's well known. What do professional learning communities look like? Uh, they look like teams of teachers that are involved in everyday planning and really pushing themselves with systems so this way they can impact, develop, and impact the instructional core. They're developing the instructional uh, delivery. They're looking at different differentiated instruction. They're looking at modifications. They're looking at scaffolds to meet the daily needs of our students. These mechanisms or this time that's allotted is done on a daily basis and that it is done with clarity and with specific menus in place and expectations that so this way everyone is crystal clear across the board. These PLCs, for example, if we are learning about the social emotional needs, whether it's the ruler or the castle approach, not only do we do article studies and we bring in professionals to learn from them, so this way we can gain that body of knowledge, we also have our teachers involved with SEL work. Not only the planning aspect and by the way, when we say SEL, we're talking about what's done throughout the course of the day as opposed to just one period of the day. Absolutely. So we're focusing on having cadres where at this point we have teachers that have made it a point. You know what? I want to be part of a, a mindfulness or a yoga cadre. I want to be part of a running club. I want to be part of a reading club, a game club, an art club. And these are, and this is just one aspect of what we do for professional development. It's not just studying and planning, but also we're doing the same thing for our staff because if they haven't practiced it and they haven't felt it, they're not going to have a genuine desire or have a genuine feeling on what works and what doesn't work. And we do the same thing for students, right? We do this inside the classroom and then we have clubs uh, when I left our school, we had over 40 clubs uh, with government, with student governments to really mainstream and support and energize and engage our students. And that was just one example of it. having an array of menus during those teacher teams are, su are super important. So this way, teachers are transparent in what they need. And what we need to provide our teachers is give them that fuel that hunger to learn, because that's all teachers want. That's the fuel they want. And we have to support them through this professional development 
So they feel energized and it's not just an administrator standing in front of them, but they're learning in groups, in cadres and everything that they're learning, it's applicable to the classroom. And that's what culture of a centered collaboration and curiosity is, a, is about. And it's mostly focused going back to the four shifts, the core, the data, the shared teaching and learning, and how we're putting it all together so this way we can have meaning, we can have meaningful, purposeful instruction going on. So I definitely hear the passion in your voice for, for what you have done for all these years. I'm surprised you've retired uh, considering that. I, but I want to talk a little bit more, and this is a little bit off of uh, the next question I was going to ask. You were talking about all of the things that are happening in the PLC and what the teachers are doing and how they're developing and honing their skills and customizing what they're doing through differentiation. I heard so many things. So I know for me as a as a school principal, and I was only a principal for 17 years, not not 23, I think you said, years. Um, yeah. But I know that one of the key things for me was making sure that I followed up in my observations and feedback to my teachers so that they could know whether or not they were on the right track after all that training. Talk a little bit about what you do in terms of how you observe and you provide feedback or what that looks like. Yeah, great question. Listen, our, our work is very detail-oriented. I make it a point of getting to work as early as possible. Uh, when I say as early as possible, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, that is who I am. I, um, I make it a point of doing all my paperwork, all my organization, uh, all my reports early in the morning, uh, sending out my daily community emails to my staff and to my community. That's essential. So this way, at 7.30, when we open up our doors or the beginning of the school day, I'm outside greeting my families, my students, and my teachers as they're coming in. I want them to see me as the first person before they even open up the door. That is whether it's raining or snowing, uh, I'm outside. That's essential because presence is key to what we do. We can address so many concerns, uh, so many questions from our entire school community. Why I say that? Because that gives me an opportunity while I address those questions. That gives me an opportunity from 8 o'clock to the end of the day that I'm, I'm in my classrooms. I am observing. I am having discussions with students. I'm having a natural flow of discussion with teachers. Um, and this happens consistently, daily, uh, every single day. Uh, my parents know and my community knows that I don't have meetings during the school day. Uh, I'm in my classrooms. Why that's so essential? Because I love to see my teachers and students are in the trenches. I want to be I want to be able to see what are the challenges that they have and how we can resolve them. I don't just send my teachers to their teacher teams. I sit in at every one of those teacher teams meetings. So there's, there's a clear agenda. And as I spewed some of the menus or uh, that we follow or some of the protocols that we follow during these teacher team meetings, it depends on, of course, the school year, what we need to address, what we see as a need from a data standpoint, from our teachers, from my observation, from my student data, 
for my community needs. And these are the things that we as a school work together during those meetings, during those teacher teams. We empower our staff and our students. Now, part of my observations, we look, we utilize the, uh, the workshop model. We utilize the Danielson rubric. We utilize best practices. So this way we are honed in terms of practices. It's not about in a day and age right now where we're pushing programs to schools and we think that one formula is going to solve every problem. Every student comes in every different shape and size. I don't have to tell you this, but it is our job to make sure that we find practices that are immutable, that could be powerful for our kids. So pretty much I'm having discussions with teachers and students throughout the day. I'm in their classrooms, outside their classrooms. I'm having meetings with, I have a system of having weekly meetings with my first year teachers, having bi-weekly meetings with my second, third, and fourth year teachers. And then so, everything is scheduled on my calendar so this way we can provide support for our new teachers as they go through, you know, we know that our teachers go through many different cycles. You know, we learned about the survival, which is the first four years of teaching. Then we talk about the adjustment stage. Then it's the maturity stages and the settling down. We provide those kind of notations for our teachers. So this way there's a profile on how I can differentiate the needs of my staff. Because remember, they're the ones that are in every classroom and supporting teaching and learning. And it is my best interest to support them, to be there for them, and not just to be, just to go in and just observe them. That's not the whole point of it. It's me learning in the process. Absolutely. to face reality. We're following, you know, there's a nationwide teacher shortage. You know, we have to add credibility back to our profession. We have to support our teaching staff so they feel that they are part of the solution and that they're happy where they are. And that's the other beautiful thing. We could do so much beautiful things of recruiting. How do we retain them? How do we feel that energy? And that that's essential to really supporting teaching and learning because through my observations, I'm able to see the growth or the lack of growth of each teacher. So this way I can put a suitable plan in place to support every classroom in my school building. So I heard several things there. Uh, One of them, when you referred to the teaching shortage, and that was only exasperated by the pandemic. But one of the things I used to say to folks when I was working uh, as a principal is, first and foremost, I recognize that Nobody gets into teaching for the money. So when I know that, that you're not in this for the money because we know teachers don't make nearly as much as they should. So then it's up to me to make sure that I support them. But I I know from my own experiences that I benefit by supporting them because when they are able to do their best, it makes me look good because the whole school is the one that is successful as a result. And that is something... Uh, I think that many leaders need to hear. The other thing that I heard uh, when you were talking 
about scheduling time to make sure you're in your classrooms. I can't say enough about that. I used to call that time sacred time. And I would even tell my office staff, you know, if they say it's an emergency and they come in, tell them you're going to call 911 because <laughs> because the bottom line was <laughs> that my being in the classrooms was more of an emergency than whatever it was they were coming in with most of the time. And then one last thing that you said is you talked about being present. And that's another thing I think a lot of times uh, many of our leaders, they read this in many of the leadership books about the importance of walking the walk and talking the walk and, and all of that and being present. But being present means that you're there participating. You're an active participant, an active listener in the PD. You're not sitting there on your phone or doing some other paperwork while at the same time uh, the meeting is taking place, but you're actively involved. And I know it was important as well for me to be actively involved in my IEP meetings, too. I was a participant, a team, a team member uh, in those meetings. So thank you for pointing those things out because it also reinforced what I saw success in and believed in. And so I, I want to thank you for that. I'm going to move on to our next question. My next question is, tell us about uh, someone who has helped you become the person you are today. Who has really influenced your life and how? Yeah, it goes to, um, I was an undergraduate and there was a gentleman that uh, really pushed my thinking in education. He really, uh, he really got tough on me. And he said, this is not the way to write a paper, Demetrius. Um, he had me go to his office and it was tough. Um, got into education. I got he he actually was the first one to give me a call to congratulate me uh, from graduating and said, you know what, I have a job for you. And they offered. Um, I went on the interview. They offered me a job right away, which was a great thing. But he was the one, as I said about surviving the early stages of my life. I was th I didn't have. I had a very narrow outlook at that time. Think about it. Your first year. You are, what is it? The attrition rate is three out of five teachers. Yeah. Quit after their fifth year of teaching. Three out of five. Wow. Percentages are against us. And I was in looking at that stat. And it wasn't until this gentleman, Dr. George Gonzalez, called me, developed a mentor program before mentors were even existent in our state. I developed a buddy system would come in and observe me every single day, sorry, once a week, would come in and observe and provide feedback to me. Made it really powerful that this long-lasting effect, and it didn't stop as a first-year teacher. It continued as a teacher. It continued as an assistant principal, staff developer, and principal. He, at the latter stages, he would come into my school every Friday. This is his own free time. And we would do learning walks together with a specific lens, whether it's engagement, whether it's closure, uh, whether it's questioning. And we would go from one classroom and we would have discussions afterwards. So this way, and my assistant principals and my coaches would be with me at that time. So I'm empowering my coaches to make sure that we are on the same page. Um, what made it really powerful is that we became great friends. Someone that became my confidant, a friend, a mentor, a fellow. is the, He's deceased right now, but 
so fortunate that a professor made a lasting impression on me that not only helped me be who I am, but also helped me in understanding systems and understanding partnerships and understanding how to recruit teachers, how to retain teachers, and understanding grant writing and how to attain materials and resources to level the playing field for our schools and provide these tools for our scholars. And then my instructional lens, you know, it's almost like getting one-on-one mentoring. If you really think about it, yeah. to me, that was key. You talked about mentoring or how someone made the difference in not only pushing you, but having expectations of you that were high. So if you could go back in time and meet any historical figure, who would it be and why? I want to read something, if I may. Absolutely. That has made a a drastic impact on me. And it was a plaque that was in my office. As you entered the office, it was something that I read every single morning as I entered. He failed in business in 31. He was defeated for state legislator in 32. He tried another business in 33. It failed. His fiance died in 35. He had a nervous breakdown in 36. In 1843, he ran for Congress and was defeated. He tried again in 48 and was defeated again. He tried running for the Senate in 55. He lost. The next year, he ran for vice president and lost. In 59, he ran for Senate again, and he was defeated. In 1860, the man who signed his name, Abraham Lincoln, was elected the 16th president of the United States of America. Talk about perseverance. Why this man? I don't know if you know this stat. Abraham Lincoln I was reading this book. He There's a lot of leadership styles that he followed. There's one particular book that I love called Lincoln on Leadership by Donald Phillips. And it talks about all the measurements and all the leadership strategies that he followed to really distribute information and how he conducted himself to his colonels, to his generals, as there was a civil war going on. I would love to sit down and have a dinner with him and get to see what he did to release some of his anger and frustration. We knew that he loved to write letters, to do journals, that he he didn't like to just write the letter. He liked to keep the letter. He loved analogies and stories. You know, even Dr. Joe Johnson during the ENCA Symposium mentioned a quote from Abraham Lincoln that, you know, Six hours to chop down the apple tree, four of those hours to sharpen his axe. Talk about (laughs) preparation. Talk about perseverance. Just his experiences, his setbacks, his positive mindset, his life experiences. And do you know there are 17,000 books written on Abraham Lincoln today? He, there's the second president behind him has only 5,000 books, and that's George Washington. People are mesmerized by this man, and they want to know more. And to me, that's important. No technology, no phones, limited access, limited transportation, 
and to accomplish what he's accomplished is unheard of. So I would love to go back in time and meet one of these historical figures named Abraham Lincoln. Well, if we had uh, Indiana Jones' dial of destiny, I suppose we could send you back in time to have that meeting. But thank you for that. That really caused me to stop and think about other great uh, leaders or folks who have left an impact. And you certainly are leaving an impact in New York City, uh, one of my favorite cities, by the way, and looking at trying to, to visit again to some of the musicals that are coming out. But just a, a wealth of culture there, a wealth of a lot that with the arts and opportunities. And so you are providing those opportunities for the students in your little area of the world. And I want to thank you for that. So is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? One final thought before we close. Yes. Um, one of the things that I really take away from the NCUSP book, When Black Students Excel, is the level of relevancy and engagement. And as a leader, to have these three questions in mind when we're addressing the needs of our students. What are they going to learn? Why are they going to learn it? And how will they use it? Having these three questions in mind gives us a high level of engagement and purposelessness that our students need on a daily basis. Thank you for the honor of being on this NCUS podcast. Well, thank you, uh, Demetrius Pantelidis, for sharing with us today on the NCUS review what great schools do, and certainly you are doing great things, and I'm sure that you have built capacity for great things to continue. Just to let our listeners know, we will post a new episode of the NCUST Review the first of each month. The NCUST Review explores topics grounded in educational research. We want to thank you for listening to the NCUST Review, and we hope you will embrace what you learn to advance equity and excellence in your school and school districts so that all students have the benefit of a world-class education. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Until next time, I'm your host, Dr. Deborah McLaren for the NCUST Review, What Great Schools Do. Thank you.